Listener Production. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. For most of us, accessing medical care is only a phone call away. Hello. But when you live remotely, and in some cases 200 kilometres away from the closest hospital, you're bound to encounter challenges that maybe the average Aussie wouldn't. Like when 40 degree heat shuts down your car engine, or those months when the local health clinic just can't seem to get a locum GP, or for some, having no one around to look after an elderly relative while you make a four day round trip for a checkup is, well, impossible. You don't even have to live remote to be medically isolated. There are people living in metropolitan areas right now who can't access basic medical care. Telehealth to the rescue. Way before the world shut down and telehealth became a topic of dinnertime conversation, those pixelated video calls you know and love were a valuable instrument in the clinician's toolbox. But that's just the problem. How is a clinician meant to tell the difference between a heat rash and chicken pox when the image on the screen is indistinguishable? And how are patients meant to accurately communicate health information when the microphone can't distinguish between normal lung sounds and diseased lung sounds? So when you can't access quality healthcare, you end up just not seeing the doctor at all. For some people, this could mean that those chickenpox turn into a bacterial infection and depending on your risk factors, this could be the difference between an annoying itch or even death. Access to equitable healthcare is the pillar of modern medicine. Yet, medical isolation sees thousands of people without access to standard healthcare every day. But what would happen if everyone, no matter where you lived, an oil rig, Antarctica, or even just a city, had access to hospital quality care? That's the question telehealth company VisionFlex is trying to answer. And they're a business-to-business innovation. So this episode is a little unique we're going to meet a range of incredible people at different points on the medical isolation spectrum who are trying to bridge the invisible gap of inequality so everyone receives the care that they deserve. Hi, I'm Zoe Callister-Hakewell and welcome to Beyond the Medicine Cabinet. We moved to Catherine um, 28 years ago it was for 12 months on our way to Queensland and we fell in love with the place. We bought a property, we had cattle, we had a poultry farm and we never left. Marianne and her husband David love living remotely. It's such a close, friendly community. Everyone, you know, just helps everybody else. Um, and out in the bush, uh, one of the areas we work in, the Lanapoi homelands, uh, our blue jeep broke down. Our first trip that we went out there, and any time any anyone sees us out in the Lanapoi homelands, 
they stop to ask us if we're right. So it's a beautiful environment and the people are amazing. I guess you can say they're experts at living remote. Their research company, Simbani, is focused on enhancing telehealth access and use in remote Aboriginal and remote communities in general, both studying PhDs that complement this research. They're even recording this podcast from their home, 35 kilometres southeast of Darwin, where they live now, which you can probably tell from the background noise. The community that we're working with are a small community of about 50 people, and they live on the northern end of the island, which is about two hours four-wheel drive um, distance between them and the, the health clinic, which is based in that community. So the, they normally ring the health clinic, but they can't get immediate service. And also that health clinic is really busy. So there's 2,000 people in a very remote location in Northern Australia, and um, they are pretty flat out. So it's very hard to get continuity of service. So one of the things that we're trying to do with the telehealth project is to establish some levels of continuity, even if they're just a remote video conference. And the reality for these people out of this community and a lot of the other communities around that area is if there is a health emergency, quite often the people will die before they get assistance. And that's a very, very sad story, but that's we hear it quite often. Some of the areas that David and Marianne work in can be cut off by water for almost half the year. There's limited road access and telecommunications and environmental challenges like dust, humidity and severe weather events that can all present as unique challenges to accessing healthcare. You look at the example um, in the Pilbara, they have very, very high rates of FASD, fetal alcohol Spectrum, Spectrum disorder. disorder, and a lot of these children aren't diagnosed. It's also quite a challenge to to do that diagnosis because you, I think it's three specialists they have to right. see yeah. to be able to confirm a diagnosis of FASD, and the NDIS essentially doesn't do anything until that confirmation comes through. So what what we're seeing is the that the actual diagnosis is the thing that's interrupting extended services to these people. So to be able to establish that and over video conferencing using the tool, the diagnostic tools as well is, is, is really a key. We are working through the challenges of pulling together the case conferencing by video conference to get these kids properly diagnosed and then they can access services and support through NDIS. But some of these kids, like this five-year-old child, can't speak. There's another child, I think they're 10, they're not speaking properly and they've got ear problems, but they're not, they've, they've never seen a specialist. And so the uh, nurse practitioner out there is not sure exactly what the problems are. So that's sort of where we're heading for these remote communities. It's so that they've got a little telehealth area with some smart diagnostic tools and good internet connection so they can get access to health services whenever they need it not when it's convenient for a local clinician that might be visiting one day. It's always been our mission, you know, to provide equal access to healthcare. You look at people in these remote communities who have long distances to travel or you look at the correctional services area where people are locked up, you know, I think everyone deserves equal access. This is Mike Harmon. He's the CEO and founder of VisionFlex. 
you know, those smart devices Marianne was just talking about? Well, VisionFlex makes them. But these aren't your normal telehealth systems. Sometimes they're hidden in places where you would least expect. The Royal Flying Doctors are, um, you know, you wouldn't think so, but one of, one of their areas of need is not always in these small communities, but it's with uh, grey nomads, for example, who are travelling across the desert in their RVs. Ah, okay? and yeah. You know, dad has a heart attack and mum has to start drive up to the into the next truck stop and drag him out of the van and into the truck stop. And all of these truck stops, the bigger ones, have all got first aid rooms. And in the first aid room is a chest, a, me- a, a medicine chest from the Royal Flying Doctors. Padlock on the front, open the padlock, open them up. They've got morphine. They've got all this stuff inside them. Inside the lid of the chest is a, a chart giving you numbers and showing you what each tablet is and what each box of tablets is. And so then you get on the phone to the Royal Flying Doctor and you say, okay, my husband's had a heart attack, he's on the floor, what do I do? And they're saying, okay, get box number 67 out of the chest. Oh, wow. Okay, and do, and do this and do that. But they're doing it blind. I mean, the doctor in Broken Hill can't see what, yeah. what you're doing on the floor. So what we're doing now into these truck stops is we're putting our telehealth hubs and mounting the ceiling cameras so that now the doctors can, in Broken Hill or wherever they are, Port Augusta, they can log in and they can see what's going on in the first aid room they can see the feed from the telehealth hub. They can see the blood pressure and the ECG coming from the patient, and they can talk the you know the spouse or the or the person from the truck stop through the process and how mm. to treat the patient. So mm. it's really cool. You yeah. Know. So we're not really doing um, home telehealth with mum and dad. We're doing business to business telehealth. So we're connecting the oil rig to their doctors. We're connecting the remote community, which is run by the Royal Flung Doctors, to their doctors. And there's always a nurse or a health professional with the patient in, in our business. It's not like you would pick up our device at home and just dial up the doctor. I mean, you would go to a community, there would be a nurse there. She'd help you put the blood pressure cuff on or she'd fit the ECG pads and, and then you would have a consultation with the doctor who could be in another city or anywhere in the world. Vision Flex differs from the mum and dad telehealth, that Mike calls it, by replacing the computer with a device called the Pro EX Hub. And that old pixelated webcam with high-quality medical imaging and data capture, all done in real time. Diagnostic quality imaging and data is collected from the suit of peripheral devices that have been specifically designed for use on the Pro EX Hub. There are also inputs that allow the use of almost any existing medical equipment too. This means better diagnostic tools for the specialist or GP and, you know, actual access to the specialist for the remote patient. And they can be scaled from something you would fit on a desktop to something that you can put in your backpack. We're looking at things like the general exam camera, which we manufacture, which is great for wound management, oral exams, eye exams. Uh, And then we move on to dental cameras for looking at the teeth. We have the otoscope or the ear camera for looking inside the ears. Uh, we do uh, medical endoscopy for doing endoscopic examinations. Oh, wow. Uh, and sometimes they can be simple endoscopic examinations like up the nose or something, but others can be more complex, surgical. Mm. Um, so there's a whole bunch of, of cameras that we can connect to in that respect. Um, and then on the, on the digital side, we have things like the ECG, pulse oximetry, blood pressure, uh, digital stethoscope, um, blood glucose, for the sugar, mm. yeah, and uh, spirometry we're bringing out very soon. Uh, so there's just you know a whole bunch of these things that go together to give the remote physician a complete picture of what your um, of what your issues might be. 
And look, you know, when these people are in a remote location like that, then the specialist or the GP at the phone really needs that information to make it to make an informed decision. We 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 just don't have enough people to to travel into the outback, to travel to the aged care centres, to travel into the prisons, and enough uh, professionals to do all of this work. Like the only way we can do it is with virtual care and technology. And whether it's uh, you know in the back of an ambulance driving along and connecting up to the hospital, or whether it's in a remote Aboriginal community up in the Kimberleys, you know, there's such a contrast between between doing that and then being in an aged care centre in the middle of a city, you know. But both patients have limited access to healthcare. The elderly become increasingly invisible as they get older. Uh, and we were, you know, one of our major, uh, you know, functions of our organisation is to make sure that we can provide a conduit for people connecting to parts of the healthcare system that they need. And it's really about uh, making sure that quality of life is maintained Rod and Carol from A1 Nursing Services use VisionFlex in their clinical practice to deliver high-quality, in-home nursing care. There's a variety of ways that we use the technology and it's um, able to have a lot of peripheral diagnostic devices connected to it by Bluetooth, which is fantastic. So we can do all sorts of blood pressures, we can do blood sugar levels. So we can get all of those baselines plus ECG, and we can establish a pretty firm baseline in the physical condition. We can also send all of that data live if we need to, to the general practitioner who can be updated with all of the uh, information. We can send that to a specialist. It could be a cardiologist, for example. We have the ability to have a radio stethoscope attached to the equipment as well. So we can auscultate heart sounds in real time. As time goes on, you know, they're, they're going to become more distressed with their breathing. And so we can get there and do some auscultation, send it straight to the doctor, say, okay, is it just a normal progression of their symptoms mm. or do they have a chest infection or, mm. you know, so straight away we can give them the medication to help ease those symptoms or address mm. a comorbidity, say an infection. We can mm. get that infection cleared up, helps their breathing, gives them better quality. Yep. Yeah. And relieves any psychological and physical distress that they have mm. and we get onto it straight away. So we developed a platform called Vision, which is our um, our own video conferencing platform. We can connect all of that data automatically back to the electronic health record platform. So for the hospital or for the organisation like, for example, the Royal Flying Doctors, they have multiple sites around the country where our equipment is installed and every time one of the nurses or the health professionals on site takes a picture or a reading of a patient, that data is automatically pushed up into their patient record so that so, so everything's captured. So all of this comes under the heading of um, interoperability and, and connectivity. You know, there are so many mm. siloed yes, um, software programs and databases so out true. there and none of them talk to each yes. other. <laughs> okay, and, uh, and we're sort of this, the meat in the middle of the sandwich, you know, like we're trying to talk to the scheduling system and we're trying to talk to the electronic health record platform. And so, and really nobody wants a telehealth hub that doesn't talk to anyone. Like yeah. if it's, if the data just stays there on that device, it doesn't really help anyone, you know, mm. like it needs to be automatically uploaded. It's just a range of modalities that this equipment has that we can make sure that people can remain connected. They don't have to, as one lady said to us re as recently as yesterday, you know, thank goodness I don't have to try and make an appointment to the mm. GP. And she kept trying to say, now you're going to make sure that he's going to get all this, isn't he? We kept saying, yes, he's getting all the, all the you know, data and whatnot. Oh, so, you great. know, it's that type of uh, connection. 
It is. And training clinicians to use it is super, super simple. It's really, mm. really good. And um, it's just intuitive the way it works. What we found is people that move into aged care facilities, even even though, you know, we say when they come in that this is your new home and we will do everything for them, they still lose a sense of their identity. They they lose their history. You know, people who are surrounded by memories, you know, in their own home and as Carol was saying, they could be there for 50 years and we see it all the time with the people we um, look after in the community and, and they don't want to leave that environment. That's their happy place. They know that they're declining. They know that they're in their twilight years. But when they go into the aged care setting, there is also a bit of a mirror when they're looking at other people. They're mm. thinking, am I looking at myself in the next five years? And then what what is in uh, the residential aged care sort of setting is this unrecognised avalanche of depression. Mm. It's a massive issue, yeah. mm. you know. I've heard you use this term of virtual care before, and I really love that term. And I think it applies so beautifully in aged care because I think we really could be doing a lot more than what a lot of aged care facilities, I mean, they're doing their best, but, you know, a lot of them are understaffed, overstretched, overworked, don't have the right tools maybe sometimes. And this idea that providing virtual care to a patient, it almost sounds like the answer? I don't know. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, aged care is, is a, there's a huge need for virtual care within the aged care space. You know, when we talk about telehealth and virtual care, we think remote communities and, and you know, distant communities mm. or, or people who are locked up in prison, you know, but, mm. but you can have someone who's medically isolated, if you like, might yeah. be a term, in an aged care facility living next door to a major hospital. Yeah. Okay. And they don't have access to healthcare. It's very difficult to get a physician to come into the aged care Absolutely. Uh, yeah. center. They're busy. They're all busy. Yeah. It's difficult to get the patient into the hospital mm. and to sit in outpatients, you know. Mm. So connecting them up virtually, it makes complete sense. Nurses and registered nurses can only do so much in our scope of practice. We can do the assessments, but at the end of the day, we can't prescribe. We can't diagnose. We can't even though we've seen it a thousand and one times and we know exactly what it is, we can't do anything about it without that GP or without the specialist. Shirley Sternberg is an aged care registered nurse and care manager. She has been working in the industry for 21 years. Getting allied health professionals in the building has always been a struggle. And then COVID happened. Pre-COVID, people would come into the facility and we would get together and we would talk about things. Um, Allied health professionals would come in, do their assessment, come out, we'd get a report and we kind of combine everything together. COVID had completely changed that. Um, People are afraid to come into facilities for multiple reasons, either because they're going from facility to facility and that can be really dangerous or they can, they're worried for themselves and their own health and they're worried for the the vulnerable people that we're looking after. So COVID stopped a lot of allied health professionals actually coming to us. Why is it important that you interact or collaborate with these um, different specialists in your line of work? It's important because we do need to give um, total patient care and total holistic care. So, 
you know, it doesn't stop at nursing. Um, we have to collaborate a, a multitude of us all together. It's an entire team. The team may not necessarily be here on site, but the team is caring for this one individual and that individual needs to be cared for properly. And every allied health professional that is involved in the care of that person has a role and a responsibility and a duty of care to that person and, and we just all have to work together in order to get the outcomes that, that the person actually wants. You know, we've talked a lot about quality of life and, and the way that we're now changing how we treat and how we access those remote individuals. What about death and palliative care? Once upon a time, you would call the palliative care team in basically to give morphine because it's the end of life. Now you call the palliative care team in much, much earlier than that. It's about pain management. It's about the management of nausea. It's about the management of, you know, anxiety and stress. But you want to make sure that everything is in place and ready and that you have recorded and everyone around you understands what it is that you want out of your journey and how much treatment you want. Palliative care is just one, mm. one subsect that helps us achieve these goals and helps people have a journey that is very calm, pain-free, and that they are advocated for properly. Telehealth has allowed us to, to do that. We can bring the care into the patient's room. That's fantastic for everybody. You know, we could bring the doctor, the specialist into the room. You still have a nurse or a health professional or one of the one of the aged care nurses is there to assist. They can put the blood pressure cuff on. They can they can maybe hold the camera and take a measurement. Um, but by bringing these people into the room using this virtual care technology or the telehealth technology that we've developed really allows the patient to um, you know to stay in that one place for much longer and to give them better access to the healthcare they need. It's so interesting as well that, you know, instant reaction we have around such a, a word that's so misunderstood. The fact of the reality is, is that everyone is probably going to die at the end. So may as well be prepared. And what do we want out of that journey? And, you know, it's really important to have access to, to these specialists through things like telehealth if they can't physically be there by the bedside. You know, once upon a time, we would have to then send them to hospital. Why? The hospital environment is cold. The hospital environment, there's a lot of buzzing and beeping and staff that don't know you and, mm. you know, your family may be allowed in, they may not be allowed in, depending on, you know, what's happening with COVID in the area. Mm. Why? What? Why would you want that for anybody? It contributes to pain, emotional both emotional and physical pain, you know, it's better to be able to access these services through telehealth mm. than sending someone to hospital. Yeah, and allow them to die with dignity as well. Dignity and respect and, and the way that they choose to. Mike, who is an engineer by trade, went about creating VisionFlex, as you would expect an engineer to do, by solving a problem. Close to a decade ago, Mike's other business was developing digital otoscopes for Queensland Health to conduct ear checks in remote Aboriginal communities. He quickly realised that it wasn't just otoscopes that nurses in these communities needed. 
they needed an integrated solution. Uh, you know, so there was a whole bunch of uh, requirements that we, we tried to achieve through the, through the other business, but it just wasn't uh, feasible. And we didn't have the cash and, and we didn't have the money to, to do that sort of development. And really, that was the beginning of VisionFlex because we started up a, um, a fresh company to meet that challenge and to design that product. And so that's been going now since 2015. It's funny, as you're talking, what I keep thinking of is see a need, fill a need. Well, yeah, that's, you would think it's logical, I mean, to see a need and to fill a need, but, um, you know, it's called design thinking and there's a, there's a whole philosophy around that. A lot of people uh, will design a product and then go and try and sell it and, and mould people into the, into the thought that they need the product where perhaps they don't, whereas we were more of the belief that, look, you know, if we see an opening like this and there is really a need, as you say, uh, that we could come up with a solution. And, and we were already experts in this medical imaging sector. And so for us, you know, it made complete sense. And, and the expansion of the capabilities of this system that the nurses were asking for was not, uh, you know, it made sense. It made sense to us and it made sense to them. And we could really see a, a path forward. In remote Indigenous communities where Marianne and David work, designing telehealth solutions that fit into the patient's way of living is really having a big impact. It was a Friday afternoon and one of the Bellas came into the clinic with a spear injury. So John, the um, senior GP, was able to look at this hand over video conference and get the nurses to poke and prod so he could do that physician level examination. And he basically said, okay, you don't need a medevac. Uh, Let's treat it this way. So that saved that very traditional young man not having to go all the way into Nullumboy. Another example, a person in one of the communities had a cancer that needed intervention very quickly. And with Aboriginal people, they practice group decision-making. And this can take some months for people to get together and work through the information and make that decision to have that intervention. Uh, So what they were able to do, the senior GP set up a video conference with all the family members who were scattered in a, you know, throughout the homelands. And the specialist in Darwin, uh, the oncologist in Darwin, was able to explain what the procedure was, how, the, uh, how effective that would be, and that decision was made very quickly uh, after that video conference uh, so that people could have their, their, their quiet offline conversations as well as being able to ask those detailed clinical questions about the, the medical intervention. And so within a week, that decision was made and there was a much better health outcome for that person. For Rod and Carol, the collaborative element of the system has opened doors for their service and their staff. So the feedback from actually implementing this technology within your scope of practice has been quite positive then? Yeah, very positive. Yeah, it's been ex- exceedingly positive. And we've had a, uh, one of our RNs has connected a, a vascular surgeon directly with the evidence that we can gather through the camera, the images of the, the leg wounds, all of this sort of stuff. So we've been able to, you know, successfully do that. It's, mm. you know, super. And it packs into a, you know, a small pack, really. Mm. It's amazing mm. how small it all is, but how powerful it is. Mm. Mm. And also with the registered nurses, they're becoming very empowered. You know, historically they go in, they look at the wound and they do what they can and they become very despondent, I suppose, because, you know, they wouldn't be able to get onto the, the doctor and they could see a wound de- deteriorating. Whereas now they go in there and can speak to the doctor straight away and get antibiotics or 
a specialist consult straight away and it is so empowering for them. And, and what we're finding is that our registered nurses are now wanting to have more education and more knowledge. And mm. so it's really empowering for them. And yeah, yeah, it's just fantastic. Definitely, yeah. It just makes sense to, to connect specialists, for example, wherever they are, up to patients in Australia, wherever they are. I mean, you know, wh- why do I have to get in my car and drive to see a specialist if I could do it just as well over video conferencing and through telehealth? We're working um, with the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse at the moment and um, discussing different projects with them, but one of them is giving their cancer patients, their regional and rural cancer patients around New South Wales, access to our technology so that they can um, access the oncologist or the or the specialist at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse directly uh, from their town. So they don't have the equipment at home, but they only have to drive to their GP or their, or their nearest clinic, which we say in Dubbo or Orange or out further. You know, and then they can connect up in high definition quality. They can do all the clinical assessments. They can do the video conferencing. You know, they can do pretty much everything. And even the GP, perhaps, you know, in that clinic may be the hands of the specialist, if you like, under guidance from the specialist who could be in the city. So, you know, this is this extension of specialties and getting their their skills out to the GPs through this platform is really, really exciting. Sounds like you've had a really enthusiastic uptake with a lot of healthcare professionals as well, which is important for a technologist coming into the medical Mm. space. It sounds like you've really thought of all the different endpoints. And so therefore, the application of that is so far reaching, as you mentioned, Antarctica, you know, Royal Flying Doctors Service and Indigenous communities, um, correctional facilities, oil rigs, which is such a challenge point, I think, for a lot of tech entrepreneurs. The the hardware was the first challenge, and I think also because it's a medical device, um, the regulatory challenge was as much of a challenge as the hardware Absolutely. design. Okay, so yeah. so there were really uh, two projects running in parallel during that time. There was the regulatory compliance project, which took as much time, really, if not more time, uh, than uh, than designing the electronics and writing the software. So we have a team of people who are just focused on. Uh, CE certification, FDA, TGA for Australia. You know, we have to go through vibration testing. We have to go through temperature testing. We have to go through water. The devices need to be waterproof. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that we had to do. So, so it was really, um, it was really interesting the, the the journey through that regulatory space and in parallel through the the technical challenges of of achieving, you know, what we were after. And so something I also like to ask everyone that I have on here is what advice would you give to people who are looking to jump into the medical technology space? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a tech guy, so I like technology and mm. I enjoy playing around with technology. So, so I think you need a passion for the technology. You need a passion for bringing healthcare to people who, you know, may have limited access mm. from, from our perspective. Uh, but you also need that business understanding and you need to be able to access funding and yeah. you know and there's there's a whole bunch of things we're really keen to explore you know moving forward around AI for example mm. I'm really keen to see uh, virtual reality come into yes. into this so that you know you can have a patient in in a country town seeing the doctor and the doctor pops on a, a set of glasses uh, you know and all of a sudden the specialist is is basically in the room mm. and they can look around and they can see what's going on and they basically the 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 local health professional, whether it's a nurse or a GP or, or you know, a pharmacist, for example, 
um, is really the hands and the eyes and the ears of the specialist. Mm. You know? And so this type of virtual reality or I think is also something that's exciting. And the whole wearable space is really interesting as well where where you can you know, apply a patch to somebody, for example, and that patch would, would you know, give you data for like days and days and days. So you can measure temp, you know, body temperature, heart rate, respiration, pulse oximetry, you know, all of these things can come through those wearable patches. So all these things are coming and, you know, and we want to be able to interface to all of those to bring this data back and to, and to provide it. Whether it's virtual reality or continuous monitoring, no matter what, the future of accessible healthcare is bright thanks to the work that VisionFlex is doing. Enhancing the collaborative nature of telehealth gives specialists, doctors, nurses and all kinds of health staff the opportunity to expand their scope of practice. And giving people the right care at the right time has the potential to save lives. And in some cases, gives the elderly the autonomy to choose how they live the rest of theirs. Beyond the Medicine Cabinet is a listener production brought to you in partnership with Kuyong Group. Hosted by me, Zoe Callister-Hakewell. Audio by Kelly Falston and executive producer is Todd Stevens. Listener.